Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim GK. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today, our topic is going to be the contracting industry. And it's going to be ins and out, how this particular industry works, just give you some idea of when you're dealing with a client in the contracting industry, how they come to make decisions on certain projects, how they bid for a process. But this is overall opinion, sales opinion on how to actually deal with, try to get a business from contractors, I mean from construction, anything across the board. Uh, this is a webcast that was recorded some time ago. Uh, but it has a lot of great information on it. I think it's, it's worth sharing. So we're going to take a break real quick uh, from our sponsor, and we'll be back with the show talking about the contracting industry on a sales approach. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours, and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists. Or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to The Core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and play the segment for uh, the contracting industry. Uh, listen to it, take note, and probably I think at the end of the month we're going to have a lot of these these recordings on transcripts are going to be free for you. Uh, I think we're targeting uh, October to have those done by the 15th, the latest. Um, and we will start from the current shows from the, the previous month and work our way backwards. And again, those transcripts will be available on our sponsor site, which is Apple Capital Group, and also uh, be available on uh, the Core Business Show website. Good evening. My name is Lisa, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Contracting Industry Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Thank you. Mr. Owen, you may begin your conference. Thank you very much. And everybody, first of all, thank you very much for giving up some of your family time tonight. We, we really appreciate it. Um, the reason we decided to do this call tonight is that over the last six months to, to a year, we've been noticing the changes out there with, with the, um, the, the contracting industry, as we call it, whether it's whatever kind of contractor that's available, 
as everybody knows, the contractors consist of probably almost 50% of our business out there. And uh, what we've been finding lately is that, boy, they're all scared to make any type of decisions out there. They're afraid to spend money. They're afraid to do anything because they don't know what's going on. They're scared of what's happening out in the field. They're scared of what's happening with the housing industry. They're, they're scared that people, people aren't building houses anymore. People aren't doing additions. People aren't doing this. People aren't doing that. And we want to address that with you guys tonight. And who better than to talk to everybody than Joe Picario? Um, most of you who have been with us for a while know Joe. And uh, lots of people know Joe these days. So we're going to have Joe talk to you a little bit about um, what's going on in his field and what he's doing to fight this recession that we're in right now or what we think we're in, whatever it may be. And then we have uh, Bob Redco and John Morris who are going to speak afterwards, and they're going to talk to you about different things you can talk to the business owners about and how we can get them not to be so scared to make a decision to move forward with us and, and use our services. So without further ado, I want to introduce Joe Picario. And Joe, take it away, buddy. Well, thanks a lot, John. And uh, I want to say hello to everybody out there. And I really, really am excited about uh, having the opportunity to share with you some of the pain, uh, and I mean pain, that's going on in our industry. When I say our industry, the, I believe everybody's in this contract and injury. If you own a home, you're in the industry. Whatever you do, you own a part of contracting. Whether you're having something done or you're... Or your or your contractor yourself, and uh, I mean, who who out there, you know, thought that the Giants would win the Super Bowl? Would you think that you know, three quarters of the way through the season, that they would have won the Super Bowl? Well, they were in the same kind of recession that's that's going on right now, and they won that recession. So it, the, anything is possible if you just if you just buckle down. But that message was you know it was a team message that went through, and you know. Saturday's reports on the news. I mean, I seen the the Times, the New York Times had unemployment up five percent. They're they're they they keep squawking about this recession. Well, you know, the recession's been here. It's uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's just something that we don't participate in, we don't pay attention to, and you know, that that kind of attitude and uh, is not for everybody because you know most of your people, most of your society, you know, just kind of ride the wave. And I know a lot of contracting companies that have ridden the wave, companies with no credentials, no credibility, that have come like flash in the pan into our industry. And what they have done is they've disappeared as quickly as they came. I know a, a trim carpenter that actually ran a company from one man up to like 30 men. I met him last week. He was down to himself and a helper because he depended solely on one source of revenue. He depended as a subcontractor working for general builders. You know, I, I know my kid brother's a truck and ladder. He hasn't had a phone call in three months. Nobody's picking up the phone and just calling and saying, hey, come on and build my house. Come on and renovate my house. Come on and spend money with us. I mean, it's not going to change, but a lot of these guys in our industry have put themselves in a very, very unique situation because They've been big contractors, prosperous entities, making a lot of money and living the lifestyle. They're bringing that lifestyle home to their families, and, and, and now they're scratching their heads trying to figure out what are they going to tell their kids that they can't take them to Disneyland four times a year. You know, how are they going to afford all these big payments? So the housing crunch is affecting them and their own lifestyle, but when, when someone goes up and meets these people, they're going to put on, you know, a fake face and make, make believe that everything's okay. Um, Nothing is okay, but you, we as contractors, we have to really buckle down and figure it out. And, and to figure it out is really making yourself 
uh, your credentials pristine, making your sales and marketing machine stand uh, out above the rest, and and getting you know whatever longevity of service you have uh, it, that you can get that message across that's going to really work and get the jobs. And I just got off the phone actually getting prepared for the conference call. I started on a job that was a roofing job that actually a, um, a board, a, a housing board, actually just awarded me, which was $98,000. And this job I started negotiating back in November. I never thought that I wasn't going to get this job, but through due diligence and just staying on this, a lot of contractors are used to just bidding work, crossing their fingers, closing their eyes, and thinking they're going to get the job. You have to have something to to sell. You have to have something to work for, and it, it's no different than uh, making clients aware that there is no magic wand. They have to understand that they have to change, and and just like all the things that are getting shouted out there in the in the political campaign, we have to change last as quickly as things change in the marketplace. We have to change. I actually. Last year, I tailored my business for the last three years around campaigning, roofing, siding, and window replacement, a tremendous billion-dollar industry, and I've been extremely successful with it. It's been work. It's been hard, and the competition has been fierce. Um, but now, we even have more competition in that industry because there's so, so many people out of work, so, so many subcontractors and illegal immigrants working, trying to scrounge up the work. What we're finding is the opposite, that the quality contractor will get the work because there's so much fear out there. There's more more fear in, in contracting than there ever was before because nobody wants to make a bad decision. And where you used to have the salesman know, I want to think about it, who to buy from, it used to be everybody's thinking about you know, one time, two times, three. Now they're thinking five and six times, I want to think about it. And then, then once they decide... They're, they're saying maybe next year. So it's up to us to really hang in there with them and realize that they will make a decision. But we may have to wait a little bit or use a little bit more more energy and a little bit more patience. But, you know, ultimately the quality is going to always come out. I mean, the the greatest thing that I have in my corner is that seven years ago, eight years ago, you know, I had an angel come into my office and actually was an IPA angel that you know showed me a direction to take and he coordinated and organized i'm not saying it's it's easy and it's still not easy because i have to, went from roofing siding windows and this year i've adjusted my company model to go into general construction i'm doing more kitchens bathrooms i'm doing uh, whole house renovations but my numbers are up my numbers are up 30% for february and they were they were cookie cutter matched with January, and we're into March now, and my sales numbers are cruising with this job tonight and a couple other jobs. I'm going to blow out my, my best March in the last three years. So it's not that it's not out there. It's not that the business is not out there, but the difference is you can hear the, the expression in my voice. You have to keep going after that business, and, and it is there for everybody. But it's there for the people that are, are that are worth it and the people that earn it. It's not going to be handed to you. And anybody that thinks that there's a recession going on, let them come over to my place and check out the activity going around my place. 
I go into lumber yards and businesses every day, and I see the shelves are empty, and nobody's coming in and out of the, the stores. But there's a few key companies that get it, and um, and it's and those companies are probably working harder than ever. They can't just sit back and uh, and just wait for things to happen. You got to make things happen, and uh, that's about what I got to say about this industry. All right, Joe. Thank you very much. And now I'm going to uh, turn it over to John. John's going to talk to us a little bit about, you know, what he talks about on the phone every day, what he hears from you guys out in the field, and what he hears from some of the clients he talks to. Go ahead, John. Thanks, guys. Hi, everybody. Uh, first off, I, just from listening to Joe, what I think is absolutely amazing is Joe, in his industry, has uh, this entitlement. You can hear it in his voice. He absolutely has entitlement through. Uh, not only past experience and the expertise and the quality of the product and service that they provide, but you can hear this entitlement because he has such control of where he stands. He's using terms that we don't hear the client say to us a lot, like, I'm going to blow out my last three March numbers, the last three years in March numbers. How often do you hear a client be able to break down what their numbers are in the month of March? And if they do know what the numbers are in the month of March, it's typically not till April that they got those numbers of that year, and then they can't even remember what happened the two or three years prior. So Joe, by, uh, by taking those systems, controls, and procedures, has completely informed himself. And because he's so informed and because he's an industry expert, he has this entitlement. And that entitlement is allowing him to compete. John Harper always talks about the fact that products and services don't compete, people do. And another thing that Joe mentioned I think is, is so relevant not only in his industry but in our industry also and, ex and completely relevant to our company and our sales department is you got to hustle. <clears throat> when the economy is going really, really good, uh, business for contractors is coming into play. So relationships are happening. Relationships that have been built over five, ten-year spans are in play. And because the people that you have those relationships are, are doing business, you're doing business. But when the economy shifts and things become more difficult, it becomes a, a, a more bottom-line driven economy. So everything is based on price. And the only way to get your price out there is to bid. You have to bid as much as possible. And that's what Joe's talking about is He's hustling. He's, he's not waiting for people to call for a renovation. He's placing ads. He's going out and finding business. He, he's, he's got uh, the slogan. He's got all this activity happening, but he's, at the same time he understands that based on recession and these things going on, that he has to be more patient in his clothes because his customers may not have money right now. If they do have money, maybe it's not coming from a month down the road. Maybe the timing isn't right. So because he has aggressive sales and marketing tactics in play, he constantly has activity because of that activity, he has an entitlement to close deals. And that's the same thing that I think that, that we, uh, we struggle with on a day-in, day-out basis, that right now is the best time in the history of the company to be active because never has there been a time where the, the pain is built in. I can remember two, three years ago when we walked into a client, and the client was making 15% net profit on $5 million. It was pretty difficult to get pain out of that client. We had to go through spin selling and ask all the questions because we had to find a want with the client. The client had a Mercedes parked outside, and he was making money. Now you're walking into these clients, and Joe, of course, clearly stated it, 
that these clients used to go on Disney World vacations with their kids four times a year. Now they're wondering how they're going to have cash flow to start the next project. So the pain is already built in. We have to have the entitlement when we go into the client to ask the tough questions, but to ask it in a manner where the client sees that, number one, we understand that the economy is the economy, that it's a tough economy, that we're empathetic, not sympathetic. And I think that uh, we have to maybe ask some questions that get right to the point instead of kind of beating around the bush. One of the, one of the questions I find to be very effective when I'm doing confirmation or prospect call, three-way, and inside sales confirmation, it doesn't matter, is I'll ask the client, how much debt are you carrying? And it's a great question because uh, right now, this is the this is one of the times in business where clients really are looking at their P&Ls and balance sheets, and they're really counting their dollars. And I tell you what, they know more what they don't have and what they owe than they do what's coming in. I can guarantee that. So ask them how much debt are they carrying. What type of debt is it? At what interest rate? How much do you owe your friends and family? Do you have a line of credit? Is the line of credit tapped out? How large of a line of credit is it? You know, you have some of these companies that you're meeting with that are $3 million companies operating on a $50,000 line of credit that's been tapped out. So, I mean, they literally uh, are not even able to pay off that debt. That debt is just uh, collecting interest, and they're strapped. They They have to tap into their own resources to take on projects. Ask the clients if they if they understand uh, what their minimum mandatory profit should be, and if they're demanding that from their key managers and their salespeople, if they're demanding that from their production, how can you demand anything if you don't truly understand what it is that you're demanding? You can't say, "Come on, guys, we got to generate profit on this job." Well, what does that mean? What what percent? How does that affect the employees? What impact does that have? Ask the clients how many jobs that they're taking just because they need the cash flow. <clears throat> there is no consumer loyalty right now, guys. There is there is no uh, relationship type sales and in, in construction right now. You can ask every client. Ask them how many of your jobs are based on relationships that you have established versus the bottom line profit, low bid wins. And they'll say, oh, my God, there is no relationships anymore. So how many jobs are you, are you running where you're actually having to accept a job just so that you can keep things busy and keep cash flow flowing through the company? One of the things I think is very important, too, that, that we need to start to, to analyze and look at is a lot of our clients are getting older. We talked about this before. A lot of these contractors that we're dealing with are uh, from the baby boomer generation, and they're starting to think about retirement. They're starting to think about, you know, five to ten years from now. This business that they're sitting on is probably their biggest asset. And their business is supposed to be an annuity that's going to fund the majority of their retirement. Ask them that. Does it worry you at this point that based on economic conditions and the things that are happening, does it worry you that this business is the annuity that's going to fund the majority of your retirement? 
How is the economy affecting your nest egg? How is the economy affecting your ability to retire? And then you, I think it's very important that we need to make it make it emotional. As I said, you don't want to be sympathetic. The clients are not looking for for you to go in there and and, uh, and uh, give them a hug, but they are certainly wanting you to embrace the fact that the economy is pretty tough. You want to be empathetic. So asking questions like, how's the morale of your staff? How are you able to keep everyone's head in the game right now? Have you been successful in uh, keeping incentives in play to keep the key employees from getting frustrated? How are you keeping your sales staff from getting frustrated? What kind of bonuses are you putting in play to get them to be more aggressive in their marketing? <clears throat> right now, there, there has never been a time where it's been more important and more rele relevant that we hustle as a company. We have to hustle because we have to convince our clients that it's important to hustle. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave you with this so I don't get too long-winded. But I, of those of you who know who I am, I'm a golf fanatic. I love golf. And I use this analogy all the time because I don't care what it is in life. It makes sense. Somebody asked Ben Hogan, who in his day was the Tiger Woods of, of, of golf. And somebody asked him, uh, what was his secret to success? What was success? How did he win all these champions, these championships? And he said, well, the secret to success is uh, not how good your good shots are. It's how good your bad shots are. Just about every contractor in a good economy is going to do well. How you truly define how successful a, con a contractor is or any business owner is, is how well they handle the difficult economy. So then somebody followed up and asked Ben Hogan, how many good shots around do you hit? And he said three. Now this is a guy shooting 65, 66, winning the Masters, winning the U.S. Open. He says he only shoot, shoots three good shots in a round. And they said, well, how, three good shots. He said the difference is that my bad shots just happen to be better than a lot of the other guys' good shots. So the more informed the business owners are, the better they understand their business, the better they understand their cash position, the better they understand their situation. And their situation right now is it's raining outside and it's time to stop complaining that they're getting wet. They need to go buy a raincoat and get to work. They need to get out there. They need to hustle. We need to do the same thing and convince them that it takes implementing some fundamentals, it takes having an open mind, and it takes finding system controls and procedures that work in this economy because what worked five years ago does not work now. You have to find things that work now, and right now is bottom line driven. Thank you, guys. Bob? Yes. Mr. Mr. Redfield, you're up. Mr. Morris? Yes. Stay on the line. If I start to go too fast, slow me down. I'm here. Okay. You're my wingman. I got you, Goose. Thank you. Um, I liked what Joe said. I like what, what Mr. Morris said. And we didn't even coordinate this, but it's all true. That's why it's all going to fit together. Now, before I get going, I'd like everybody to write down these next six questions. First one is, these are questions I want you to write down because you can use them while you're at, talking to your clients. First. Are you losing sleep at night worrying about making the next payroll? Are you losing sleep at night 
worrying about making the next payroll? Two, are your accounts receivables increasing because your customers are taking longer to pay? Number two, are your accounts receivables increasing because your customers are taking longer to pay? Three, are you worried that a customer may file bankruptcy and they will not pay at all? Three, are you worried that a customer may file bankruptcy and not pay you at all? Four, are you thinking about not paying the 941s, which is the withholding tax, and using it as working capital? Again, number four, are you thinking about not paying the 941s and using it as working capital? Capital. Number five, are you fearful that your wife or family might learn how bad it is getting? Five, are you fearful that your wife or family might learn how bad it is getting? Number six, do you feel like you are a deer in the headlights? Now, those questions are important, and you can intersperse them in your conversation with the client because it hits upon a fact, but at the same time, it hits upon an emotion. And even if your client doesn't answer the question but looks at you and either chuckles or smiles, he knows you know. And all these, th all these things are going on with the client currently. Now, what, what Joe said about the economy and the phone not ringing, for the most part, the strategy has been by our clients to wait until the phone rings. Mr. Morris touched upon that. Now that the phone is not ringing, their business is starting to decrease. The question becomes why? And the reason is, just because when the economy is in going up or improving, it's like the water. When it's high, the boats float. When the water goes down, only the boats with the best captains get through. So when that happens, because it's foreseeable, the economy goes up and down, what are their strategies? Some do nothing but wait. Some say, I'm going to wait, and then they start to contract. Others say, I'll be proactive. Those are the ones that then start to grow like Joe. If, when you're in front of a client, you start to challenge them on those issues, why have you not done anything? The answer is they don't know how. They know there's a better way. So if you start asking those questions about what are they going to do, and they admit they don't know, the perfect opening for you is to then start discussing what are other successful businesses in your industry doing? They're not going to know, but they know there is an answer out there. And they're going to assume you know the answer because you've been in so many different businesses in that industry. So asking those questions are very, very important to get the client to the point where they recognize you have the answer. That creates the with them and the reason why they're going to ask you to come in and help them. Because in a sales and marketing project or analysis, where do we bring value to the table? To identify what they've done, but more importantly, what have they not done? If the analyst can do that, the client will get excited. Because if we remember, our clients have tried everything they know how to do. And if they admit that to you, and they also recognize you are working or we are working with clients who are successful 
in spite of the recession or, or the downturn in the economy, they're going to think we have the answer, and they're going to ask you for help. As an aside, one of the things that can make them very aggressive in the sales and marketing area right now is in the area of break-even. And what I mean by that is most of our clients do not know what their true, true cost of doing business is. When we talk about the financials, whether it's Peachtree or Master Builder or whatever, it's basically set up from tax-based accounting. And, and Mr. Ali has gotten very good and, and very big on this where he asks about their accounting software and what they're doing. And then he'll ask them, well, when is your break even during the course of the year? Most clients think they might know. And then he asks, well, what about on a monthly basis? Most clients don't. And this goes back to what Mr. Morris was talking about, about having their finger on the pulse of their business. And right now, with the downturn in business, if you look at a client and say, do you know what your break-even is on a monthly basis? They may not know. And if they say yes, ask them, has it changed because sales are harder to get? And if they say uh, maybe, then the next question should be, your break-even, is that based upon getting to zero, or does that include your mandatory minimum net operating profit? And that's what Mr. Morris was speaking about. Now, as an aside, you've all heard about, well, wherever you hit your break-even during the course of the year. It can, be, it can even be broken down on a monthly basis. And most contractors do not understand that if they are bidding appropriately in the first half of the month and they are getting contracts in and that includes their mandatory minimum net operating profit, they can hit a break-even point during the course of the month and once they reach that point, they can actually bid lower for a contract in the third or the fourth week and still make that mandatory minimum net operating profit, which would make them more competitive in the industry at that time. Or, or they can continue to bid the same way they did, but now they're going to make super profit. But why is that important? Because now they can make an intelligent decision. Do I decrease my bid, still make the more profit, and then get cash flow in, or keep my bid at the same level and go for super profit? But most of the clients don't even know how to do that. Now, going back to when the economy was up a year ago, two years ago, a lot of our clients made money in spite of themselves. But they made money in spite of themselves because of this reason. Sales were going up, and their sales may not have been profitable, but they had cash flow. So the future sales were funding their current operations. As sales start to flatline or go down, if they don't change their break-even and their bidding, all of a sudden, not only is there no cash flow, there's no profit, and they're going to crash and burn. That's why the example by Joe about the person who was a one-man band and then went up to 30 and is now falling back down to two people, that's a prime example. So it's important not only to have the right tools at their fingertips, but also to know when to go back, review what their break-even is, but figure out how to do it in a very easy way. And you know what? It does not matter what software system they have in place. It may not be tailor-made to their company, 
It may not be tailor-made for them, but it can be tweaked and modified. Uh, Mr. Ali asked me to comment on, on the financials, and what he wanted me to talk about very briefly was to create the WIFM for the client. A lot of times clients are fearful to disclose or reveal their financials. And uh, the easiest way I have found to engage the client and create the WIFM is to ask them, well, are you using QuickBooks, Peachtree, Master Builder, Red Wing, whatever it might be? And then say, in an ideal situation, if you had four years of financials, the analyst will review those with you. He will not copy them. He will not remove them. But, sir, recognize the fact that it's a generic software package off the shelf. It's tax-based accounting. Does it really help you make money? And they will chuckle. They will say no. And then ask them, does it really empower you to make money or, or figure out what your break-even is or what you should be bidding? And they'll, they'll chuckle and say no. And then you can say, of course not, because it's tax-based accounting. If my analyst comes in, they'll look at it with you. When they're off to the side doing their work, they're going to convert it to management accounting. So when we sit down with you on the following day, we will show you what you're using. We will show you your business from a management perspective over the last four years, assuming they've been in business that long. More importantly, Mr. Client, they can then show you what your break-even point is on an annual basis. Now, remember that the points I had made earlier when you are starting to engage the client about break-even. The analyst will show you what your break-even what your break-even is on an annual basis, a monthly basis, and we'll even show you on a daily basis. But the important tool is the annual and monthly basis. They will show you how to calculate that. What else will they do? They're going to teach you, and I emphasize, they will teach you about management accounting so you have a better understanding and feel about it. More importantly, though, with that four-year trend analysis, the analyst will be able to pinpoint for you where in your business profitability can be increased at your current level of sales. And the analyst can quantify that. And the analyst can quantify it and typically make recommendations on how you can add 2 to 5% to the bottom line. And the reason that's so important, that is absolutely the WIFM, that is absolutely what almost every client wants and hopes and believes their accountant should do. But it's 80% 80, 80 of the clients have never had it, don't understand it, and if you set it up like that, they're going to jump at an opportunity to have somebody come in at a nominal fee to look at the sales and marketing, look at the business, and also put that piece on the table. And if you talk to your clients about that before you bring it to the desk with Mr. Morris, Mr. Ali, Jordan, or anybody else who's a CNX, your chances of having that scheduled for the next run date are huge. But it also empowers the CNX to be very effective. So you're managing up and you're making them much better. And then in turn, they're going to make you much better. Let me take a breath here and... Am I going too fast, Mr. Morris? No, it's perfect speed, Bob, perfect speed. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, in getting back to the sales and marketing and talking about the three strategies, 
the one, one of the things that I, I say on the phone to a lot of these clients that when sales are flatlining or going down, I use the, the water and boat analogy. And I'll say to the client, you know what, there's one of three strategies you can use. And I know I touched upon it earlier. One is do nothing because the phone's not ringing and you are loyal to your employees and your family. You have this loyalty to them. You do nothing. So sales go down, you're bleeding, and you're hoping the economy will increase before it gets too bad. Sometimes it works. Other people, other employers do that or they start to contract. They never do the third. What is that? Being proactive. If you think about Dell Computer or Hewlett Packard, when it gets tough, what do they do? They invest more money and energy and effort in the sales and marketing. They not only focus a lot on their core market, they also try to diversify it, which if you listen to Joe, he also did that. He's also focused on his core market, but now he knows he has to grow, so he's diversified a bit. So why have you not done that, Mr. Client? The client's going to look at you, and you can give them the answer. Is it because you don't know how? And if you do that, two things happen. He smiles at you. Why does he smile at you? Because you let him off the hook by not having to embarrass himself, but he also believes you have the answer because you asked the question and then you gave him the answer. And then you can say, well, let me ask you this. If you were to go in that direction and it would work, would you want to do that? And the client would shake his head yes. Now, based upon what I've just talked about in these questions, if you tie back to the six questions I gave you at the beginning, some of you are probably have probably written those questions down, and some of you are probably thinking, I cannot ask that question. And you know what? If you feel that way, you probably can't. But if you understand that if you ask that question, you are not going to upset the client. The client will not become defensive. Those questions will actually open up the client more, and this is the reason why. Because, again, the client you asking that question, the client believes you know the answer. If he believes you know the answer, you will continue to ask questions, and all of a sudden he will open up. And once he opens up, you have to listen and then tie it into what the analyst will do. But don't overpromise. And you know what? You've got a client who's emotionally connected, who emotionally wants you and us to help them. And you've done it in a very subtle, professional way, in a very honest and candid way. Mr. Owen? Yes, sir. I could continue, but I think I've used up my time. Um, You've done very well. And what we're going to do now is we're going to open up some phone lines for some uh, question and answers for about five minutes or so. So if uh, if, you, if you've got any questions, we've got some great people here to answer them for you. And again, at this time, if you would like to have a question, please press star from the number one on your telephone keypad. We will pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Thank you. Our first question will come from Alan Roberts. Yes, this isn't a question. I have a comment. Yes, sir. Uh, I've been taking notes as fast as I can go, and, and some of this stuff here I know uh, will increase my sales greatly. And I was just hoping and wondering if some of this could be recorded or archived that we could play it back. 
as a as a tool for learning itself. Alan, we are taping this conference call tonight, and as soon as we get the tape, uh, we'll get them out to the field instantly. Thank you, sir. Sure, thank you. Again, if you do want to ask a question or if you do have a comment, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. Our next question will come from Dale Taylor. Yeah, the question I have is uh, I got questions of the, of the top six questions. I'm missing number two and number six. Well, Go ahead, Bob. The good thing I had them written out. Number two. Are your accounts receivables increasing because your customers are taking longer to pay? He types fast. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, what was, what was the last one, number, number six? six? Number six. Okay, number six is a, it's a general one, and you really don't want to use that, that question until after you've asked a lot of questions and the client's you know, either kind of chuckling and looking at you and nodding, nodding his or her head. Number six, do you feel like you are a deer in the headlights? And basically what that means, that ties into that the clients have tried everything they know how and they believe it should be better. They want it to be better. They know there's some people out there who have figured it out, and that's what they want. Also, a little want. bit of levity, too, Bob. Right. Exactly. Lastly, Bob. Lastly, there's there's a question you referred to. I don't know how I missed it, but about uh, if you're afraid to ask this question, you probably are afraid to ask it. What was that question? No, well, no. What I what I was referencing were the six questions, in that my experience has been uh, that people a lot of times are afraid to ask questions that I will ask the client. And my opinion is the reason they are afraid or fearful is first they've never asked the question, but they're fearful that it's going to have a negative impact upon the client because that's not their knee-jerk reaction. And the crazy thing about what you do and what we do is after you, if you have actually have the guts to ask these questions looking the client in the eye, it has an opposite effect than the people. It has an opposite effect on the people who are fearful of asking the question. The reason the people are fearful of asking the question, they feel it's going to screw up the relationship, or it's going to uh, hinder their ability to make the sale. But just the opposite is true. You start to ask those questions, it engages the client because you know what? For the first time, those questions are specific. It hits them between the eyes, and the client looks and like. God, he's been wanting to talk to somebody who understands, and he can't talk to his wife. He can't talk to his kids. He can't, he can't talk to anybody. So, my gosh, if you have the backbone and the guts to ask that question, that's what he wants. He's been waiting to hear. And all of a sudden, he opens up. It's like kicking open a door, and he's actually opened it before you can kick it because he, you, it builds your credibility in his eyes. And, my God, for once, he's now got somebody in front of him who he thinks understands. So he's going to open up. And then you get a, trever, a treasure trove of issues. And my God, he might start crying. Bob, if I could add something. Please. One of, one of the things that I learned early on in, in this particular sale, when I first started out, I really didn't know a whole lot about the business side of the business. I didn't know anything technically. I really didn't know anything about the industries. What I knew was I had personality. 
Um, I could talk, and if you if you told me what the product was, I could probably figure out a way to sell it. That works to a certain point, but that only works for selling the laydown, meaning the client that anybody would have been able to sell, provided that you give a strong enough presentation the client really likes you. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult now. So you have to be willing to lose the sale in order to get the sale. You have to be willing to ask tougher questions. These guys are dealing with problems and challenges that are more intense than they've probably had to deal with in a long time. Um, they're having to deal with uh, putting payroll on credit cards and banks calling them and notes being called. and uh, I mean, they're dealing with all types of situations. They don't have time to pussyfoot around, if you will, and dance around and go through this whole process. Bob's questions get right to the point. They're professionally arrogant. The idea to this sale right now, the reason I talked about entitlement, there has never been a better time to be professionally arrogant and you know have having that that um, that feather in your cap, that swagger in your and that that hop in your step that you know something that they don't know because they really are in a situation right now where they need somebody to motivate them. And the tougher the question, the more you're willing to lose the sale because it's a tough question, the stronger likelihood you have of getting a real answer from the client because the client feels like you're real. The client understands that you're asking the tough question because you really understand the state of events right now. So you're going to get a straight answer. But if you ask passive-aggressive questions, you'll get passive-aggressive answers. And those answers will guide you down the wrong path. And then you go for the sale, and you think you have the sale, and you really don't have the sale. You just have something on the surface. That's right. Cut through the fluff, get to the point. Peel the onion. If you try dealing in surface pain right now, the clients will tear you up because they have surface pain coming out the you-know-what, coming out of their ears. You guys go in there and you ask the client, what's your biggest challenge? The client says, oh, my gosh, it's hiring and training. The only reason the client is saying hiring and training to you is because three of his employees came in late to work that morning. He's upset. Or the client says to you, oh, my gosh, it's taxes. I had a job run to me today. To get on and confirm, and the person says, oh, taxes is the hot button, taxes is the hot button, taxes is the hot button. First question I asked the client, who was a contractor, are you profitable? Uh, yes, I, I am. Really, how long have you been in business? I've been in business for 10 years. How many of those years were profitable? This was the first one. It's the first year that he was profitable in 10 years. And what he was worried about was it was the first time that he was ever going to potentially have to pay taxes and he didn't really know what to do. When the clients ask you at this point, especially when dealing with contractors, when they ask you, what can you do for me? And they're really putting you on the spot where you can't spin it and turn it back into a question. For contractors right now, everything is cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. If you look at most of the questions that Bob put out for you, and if you look at the questions that I, that I put out for you, uh, for the most part, they're trying to establish where the client's cash position is. Cash is king more than ever in the construction industry. These guys are upside down. They're sitting on land that they can't move. 
they've, they're sitting on um, uh, bids that they would love to accept or put through, but they can't because they know they don't have money coming in, and they don't even have anything to measure the score. Well, Mo, Mo, hold on. Take a deep breath, Morris. Now, what John said is when they say, well, what can you do for me? I think a lot of people bite on that and start to sell, tell the client what we can do for them, and that's a mistake. I think the appropriate response is, and Mr. Morris, if you disagree, let me know, at, you know as soon as I finish. I think the appropriate response is, I don't know if there's anything we can do for you, but we've helped many, many thousands, tens of thousands of contractors in the industry. That's why I run the analysis. But let me ask you a question, Mr. Client. You go get a physical once or twice, I mean, once a year or every couple of years. He says, yes. And if you go and the doctor says you have a clean bill of health, is that valuable and beneficial to you? And the client's going to smile, yes. But if you find something that may be wrong, don't you want to know about it as soon as you can to address it? And then the client will smile and say yes. Now, why is that important? Because either way, he starts to think that an analysis can be valuable and beneficial. Go ahead, Mr. Morris. That was absolutely right on. Well, can I can I say something briefly? Sure. Joe here. Um, the client is generally lonely. you got to realize the client and this is something that I'm working on myself, is is the chairman of the board of his entire life. There's no one else to speak to. There's no other entity. His, he doesn't trust his accountant. He doesn't trust his lawyer. He's forced to because they're the, the most professional people in his world. So with that, if you can just get in and give him these options, uh, options to actually change his life and his professional as well as his personal life. I mean, that's what he wants. Right. He, he's stuck in this business whether he likes it or not. He created it. It's a monster. A couple of years ago, it was great. Now he's having second thoughts. So if you realize that he's having those second thoughts, he is. Because whether he just started the business and he's thinking about visions of grandeur that he's going to be the biggest contractor in America at the beginning of his life, and then maybe if he's 10 years into it and he's saying, man, this isn't really what it's all cracked up to be. I should have went to you know a different industry or a different group. Now I have to just kind of just hang on and say, I hope somebody throws me a life jacket because I, I feel like I'm, I'm taking on water. I might not drown, but you know what? My family is because I don't see them anymore. I'll make it, but, you know, they're going to grow and pass me. So, I mean, that's uh, that's the, the, I think the attitude going into it is understanding the attitude of the client, the client. as well as understanding the client, the, the, the your own personality going into that room. You because just reminded people me generally yeah. need help. That's why they go for medical advice. And we are... Uh, you know, trying to help each other. You're trying to help us as a client, and you're you're trying to actually help yourself to more business. But we both learn from each other. That's why we're on this call tonight. That's why a client is on the call tonight because we're both ultimately helping each other. And and that it's all about attitudes. And the right attitude will, will everybody will benefit. Thanks, Joe. That's Joe. That's you just reminded me of something. A great way to wrap up a job and to close it down 
to get the client to see the benefit of the analysis. I've, I've used this a couple times. I've been trying it out the last couple of weeks, and it really seems to be kind of calming the client down. And I'll say to them that, listen, everything that you do every day at your business is trying to take care of a customer. You're trying to influence or take care of an employee. You're trying to appease your banker. You're trying to get your accountant or get your lawyer to accomplish something. Everything that you do is spending money to get uh, to put in somebody's pocket, and you're always focused on having an impact on their life somehow, whether it's a customer, an employee, or one of your advisors. At what point do you get a chance to sit down, take a deep breath, and have somebody who's completely objective focus on you? It's probably one of the most refreshing things that you'll ever have a chance to do because you'll finally get a chance, you'll have a chance where you can just put the cards on the table and tell the truth of how you're really feeling, how you're really dealing with, with this situation, and how you, you're trying to um, get from point A to point B. And you'll have somebody not judge you, but help to guide you in the, in the right direction. I mean, what could be better for your business right now? Every single superstar, every single politician, every single uh, athlete has an advisor, has a mentor. Why shouldn't a contractor that runs a $3 million electrical construction firm? Great stuff, guys. All right, can we take another question? Yes, sir. Our next question will come from Gerald Watson. Hey, guys. Hi, Gerald. Hey, Gerald. Um, hey the, um, okay, two-part question. The first part, uh, Bob, if you could just restate uh, what you were talking about, the analysts coming in and converting. Um their their system, you know, from um, uh, tax base to managerial, and and looking at it over the last four years, you've made some comments about that and what that would do. Okay, how, how that could help them. And then the second part, sort you know, both uh, Bob, you you and or John, uh, about how we could apply this to to new home builders. <clears throat> um, I'll, take the, I'll take the first part. Okay, and and just just a footnote on that. It, it, as it winds up, I've got an appointment tomorrow. Uh, with a new home builder, forty million dollar company, down to five million, uh, home sales are you know way way off. Okay, well, I mean that perfect—that's a perfect example about what I was talking about earlier about with the contractors whose sales are going down. A lot of our our contractors do have done their bidding and their estimating either longhand or in their head. They've got some—they've got some type of process or formula, and at one point that was successful. And most of them continue moving forward, even though the cost of their, the true cost of their business may go up or down, because they don't have their fingers on that, they continue to bid or estimate the way they've been taught or they've been comfortable with. Some of them are, are smart enough and adept enough to make changes, but if you can't, if you don't count it, it's hard to control it or manage it, which is on the accounting side. So if they even go to QuickBooks or whatever it is, a lot of times. They have a, a partner who may do it or a wife or they even bring in an accountant. But even then, the accountant is usually tax-based. So it's not set up and tailor-made to their business and their industry. And it's not set up to from what's called management accounting. For the most part, and I don't know of those out there who are listening, let's take QuickBooks for as an example. If you look at a P&L, they have revenue, and then below it they list all the expenses, and then they give you what the net income or the net operating profit is. That's tax-based accounting. That looks like a tax return. 
management accounting has three different sections, for, well, four, uh, four sections. The first is going to be the revenue. Then you have what are called direct costs. Then you have the semi-variable costs, which is a secondary section. And then you have what are your fixed costs. The analysts, when they're in the business, when they look at the QuickBooks or whatever, at the tax-based accounting, they actually convert it into the software so it now becomes management accounting. So the analyst, and I'll use myself in the first person, I could teach the client, A, this is what you're using, B, this is management accounting, and then I would teach him what it is. And I would say, Mr. Client, on January 1st, assuming he's on a calendar year end, on January 1st for the next 12 months, you basically are, are locked into your fixed cost. Is that correct? Well, yeah. Got rent, uh, for the most part, maybe interest on uh, my capital purchases, uh, you know, what, some of these other things that I'm locked into. There are some things he can negotiate going into the new year, like insurance and other things, but it's set for the year. That's a semi variable cost. And then the other direct cost would be uh, direct labor, uh, material costs. In other items, uh, subcontractors, etc. Now, the QuickBooks and all these other accounting programs aren't set up that way, so they don't feed into the formula for the break-even. So, as sales are going up, your fixed costs for that next year theoretically should stay level because they're fixed, unless you're making a move to a new facility or bringing more facilities online. Your semi-variables, you basically set at the beginning of the year, but if there's a major issue, you could probably negotiate them. And then you have your direct costs. So even when sales are going down now, if sales are going down, the break-even is going to be moving. Now, the reason that's so important is because it will affect your ability to bid and estimate or to do pricing. And so if your system's not set up to keep your finger on that and to know when you have to go back and recalculate it and then spread it to your bidding or your pricing, then you're basically doing your work in the dark and waiting for the scorecard to come in at the end of the year. You're not empowered. Does that make sense, Mr. Watson? Yes. Okay. Now, why is that important for you and everybody on this call to understand because if you can explain it in those kind of terms, it creates a whiffum for the client. And I'm going to tell you this, and I mean this very candidly and sincerely. When I ran surveys in the field, 80, 80 to 85% of my clients on day two, because I took a, a teaching position with the client, a consulting. I wanted to transfer knowledge and make them learn. Close to 85% of them would tell me after a day and a half, they learned more in a day and a half than they had in four years from their accountant or four years from their attorney or combined. Now, I'd smile because I knew I didn't have a problem picking up the check, but I felt good. But that's the whiff them. And you can use that, I believe, when you're talking to your clients because you know what? They know they should know it. They want to know it. They believe their accountant should tell them this. But the reason they, in their minds, they delegate this to their wife or their partner, they're abdicating. They abdicate that. And then they become dependent upon it. And that's why they get ripped off, because there's no controls in place. But that's a different tangent. So I'll come back. Mr. Watson, did that address your question? Um, 
Yeah, that, that's the first part. And the second, well, the second part has to do with home builders. And I guess we're talking about contractors. So, if well, want, home builders are contractors. Mr. Morris, do you want to pick up on the second part? Yeah, I, I think that the the first thing I would do if the client has gone from forty million to five million, the first thing I would do is determine whether or not the forty million dollar revenue was absolutely a phenomenal year, like a record breaking year, or was that a typical year? 